0: welcome to the Canadian immigration podcast number one my name is Mark Holthy. I'm a Canadian immigration lawyer practicing in the province of Alberta Canada in this first episode we are going to discuss some of the recent changes announced by the uh, the Canadian government with respect to the foreign worker program um, on June on June the 20th the government uh, released some fairly sweeping changes to the Canadian Temporary Foreign Worker Program, which we knew were coming, but really uh, will have a significant impact on how Canadian employers source foreign workers and also the feasibility of continuing to do so in the future. I intend to provide in this episode what I describe as the top ten things employers should be aware of as they continue accessing the foreign worker program in the future. One of the first things that they did was dividing up the old labor market opinion process and all of the other LMO exempt work permit categories into two divisions. The current LMO program has been changed to uh, now be called the labor market impact assessment process which uh, much to our satisfaction, uh, they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and so the new LMIA process is pretty closely resembled to the old LMO regime. However, the LMI process will be governed by Employment and Social Development Canada, whereas all LMIA-exempt uh, LMIA work permits will be led primarily by Citizenship and Immigration Canada so in addition to this paradigm shift we are now looking at a number of other significant changes coming in the past they have always used uh, the National Occupational Classification System as the basis for determining whether a position is to be considered skilled in Canada which carries with it a, a number of different permanent resident options that are available or low-skill, which also has certain uh, benefits and uh, and hindrances attached to it as well. Now they have decided to move away from the not-classification system and go primarily with a wage determination. In the province of Alberta, the wage that they have looked at, um, which is the median wage for all positions across the province, Uh, falls in at twenty four dollars and twenty three cents per hour so essentially if your position is at that rate or higher then it would be considered a high wage or high skill position in Canada or at least in the province of Alberta if it falls below that then it's considered to be low wage Now, there's a lot of details we have to flush out uh, in terms of how this impacts the eligibility for someone to apply for permanent residence, and if what once was a position that fell under low skill, but now because of the high wage, bumps it into that new category, whether that person is also now able to apply to CIC for a skilled work permit. These answers will be coming in future podcasts, but at this stage, we are uncertain. So the first thing, as I discussed there, is that the employment uh, skill level will be determined by wage versus the not classification. The second thing is that a new cap has been imposed limiting the proportion of low-wage temporary foreign workers uh, at work sites in Canada. Previously, there was no cap. As long as an employer could show that they could not find Canadians to fill the position, they could then recruit a foreign national to fill these positions, and the food service industry relied heavily on this, as well as the long-haul truck driving industry and others, to source foreign workers to fill skill gap, uh, skill shortages, especially in the province of Alberta. Well, now this is changing as a result of some of the negative media attention the foreign worker program has received over the last number of months. Now, the goal for all companies is to reduce their reliance on foreign workers down to no greater than a 10% proportion of their entire workforce. Now, they've allowed companies to slowly transition away from their reliance on foreign workers, but with some heavy, uh, some long-haul truck driving companies where uh, the proportion of foreign workers can exceed 70%, this is going to be very painful for them. Well, uh, as I indicated, they have allowed for a transition period, so employers will be expected to transition to 20% by July the 1, 2015, um, and down to 10% by July the 1, 2016. No new LMOs will be issued to employers that exceed these caps. However, any temporary foreign workers that are currently employed um, with these companies will be able to continue working out the remainder of their time on their work permits. Now, obviously, this puts employers in a real difficult position because they will have to now select who they will keep and who they will let go. The third uh, thing that in- employers need to be aware of uh, is that um, any province or area where there is a 6% or higher unemployment rate, certain, um, uh, certain occupations, including... Uh, the accommodation, food service and retail trade sectors uh, within these regions of high unemployment will simply not be able to apply for um, LMIAs to secure work permits for food counter-attendants, light duty cleaners, construction laborers, etc. So you can't even apply if there is over 6% unemployment rate in your region. Fourth item that is important to note is that uh, there has been a reduction uh, in the duration and time caps on LMIA-based work permits. So in the past, companies were able to obtain two-year permits supported by the old LMO system. Now that duration is going to be reduced to one year. Now, we don't know exactly how all of these caps and reductions are going to impact on the old four-year cap for low-skill workers and skill level B workers, Uh, to remain in Canada continuously. The old rules indicated that once that four-year cap was reached, which is coming up in April 2015, foreign workers will need to go home. They will not be able to extend their labor market opinions unless they have some other pathway to permanent residence. Well, the problem we face now is that we don't know how this new regime is going to impact on uh, those old provisions. We have to assume that The old provisions will apply because everything they're doing here is designed to restrict Canadian employers' reliance on foreign workers and to focus on the overriding um, desire of our government to ensure Canadians have the first opportunities for positions. The fifth item to be aware of is that they are looking at cancelling all of the provincial LMI exemption agreements. So, provinces like Alberta, B.C., Ontario, Nova Scotia, and the Yukon currently hold agreements with the government uh, that create exemptions to the LMIA process for certain occupations. So, in Alberta, the pilot for certain trade-level occupations, welders, heavy-duty mechanics, estimators, etc., um, they are now looking at possibly cancelling these agreements. Now, they haven't happened yet, and we don't know what the full scope of it is, but we can look definitely into the future... Um, to uh, To see that the government is going to be making it more and more difficult for uh, companies in these locations um, to uh, um, to do uh, a whole lot more than they currently are to show there's no Canadians to fill these positions. Uh, it's clear that they ha- it's clear that they have no intention of signing off on any new pilots that give employers the ability to hire temporary foreign workers without hiring Canadians first. The sixth item is uh, a heavy, heavy emph- emphasis on transition plans for high wage positions. Now, this is something that they've discussed in the past, but they are very serious about it now. In fact, we now have a Schedule C that is a approximately 10-page document um, that companies have to fill out to show how they are going to transition away from reliance on a foreign worker, um, a heavy foreign worker complement within their workforce, Uh, and transition to Canadians. So they need to show that they uh, have demonstrated efforts to train Canadians um, and that they're participating more actively in apprenticeship programs. Um, Also, um, that they're assisting temporary foreign workers into transitioning into permanent resident status versus allowing them to remain on um, foreign workers, uh, on work permits at this time. So you can see these are just some of the changes that are happening. Now, as we look closely at what the government is doing here, they are clearly making it as painful and as difficult as it can be for employers to secure work permits for foreign nationals. Why are they doing this? Well, as we know, in January of 2015, they are going to be unveiling the new express entry category for permanent residents, which is designed to fast-track individuals' Uh, foreign nationals into permanent resident status in Canada where they are filling areas of critical skill shortage in our country. So in essence they're trying to push employers away from the foreign worker program so that they rely more heavily on permanent residents and obviously if, if a foreign national comes in directly as a permanent resident they do not have to worry anymore about Uh, maintaining compliance and enforcement of the foreign worker program so they're really pushing employers in my mind um, to reconsidering their reliance on foreign workers and instead looking at recruiting directly permanent residents or soon to be permanent residents from abroad. The seventh item on our uh, list here is the expedited processing of LMIAs for certain categories So this is a bone that they've thrown back to employers to allow uh, those uh, employing workers in the highest demand positions, highest paid, and those of the shortest duration, um, they can get LMIAs faster. In fact, they've indicated that they will be assessed within ten days. Now if we look a little bit closer, what do they mean by highest demand, highest paid, and shortest duration? If we take a look at our at the, uh, at the highest demand. This is occupations where there's uh, a real shortage and companies within particular industries really need these positions. Right now this category for highest demand are restricted to skilled trades and they indicate that they will likely, or I should say they may, expand this into the future. As an example of some of the highest-paid positions, physicians are listed. However, on the ESDC website for foreign workers, there is a comprehensive list of wages per wages per region. And so, in Alberta, generally the high wage is a hundred thousand dollars annually a year, and any employee paid above that would fall at this stage it would appear into the highest paid category and eligible for 10-day processing of the LMIA. Shortest duration work permits typically fall uh, well typically typically include individuals coming in to perform um, repairs to manufacturing equipment or conduct warranty work or things of that nature where there's a truly specialized uh, uh, service being provided and the duration of entry into Canada is no greater than four months. Also, we have heard that for every four-month period an individual comes into Canada, they then have to be outside of the country for a year before they can come in again under this exemption. Presumably, if the company was relying upon this and needed to bring the worker back sooner, they would need to apply for a full LMIA. The eighth item on the list is one of my favorite, a new job match service for employers and Canadian employees. Now this is not quite out um, yet, we're just waiting on further instructions from the government. However, I would classify this or compare it to Lava Life or eHarmony for employers and employees. Um, the idea behind it is that employers will be able to search through uh, resumes and vice versa. Uh, employees can look for jobs uh, within the job bank uh, on this job matching service to better connect Canadian employers who are trying to find Canadians with the skill sets and experience that they need. Now, I have my own feelings on on whether this... Uh, will really help to uh, allocate Canadians to job openings, given the fact shortages are what they are. However, this is the government's attempt to try and make it easier for employees and employers to meet. So, it is a valuable resource for unemployed Canadians searching for employment, and you know those who are underemployed but seeking better opportunities. However, it may also put pressure on EI recipients who are struggling to to find employment in their field. So a job bank full of positions matching an EI recipient's qualifications uh, would serve as pretty good evidence to support an EI officer's assertion that maybe that recipient wasn't doing enough to find a new new position within their field. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see EI benefits being tied to individuals maintaining an active resume on this job match site. However, that's purely speculate, speculation on my part. But it is an interesting thought to think about. Now we're getting into uh, with number nine, some pretty important um, uh, things for employers to be aware of. In addition to all of the previous ones, this is one you had better listen to. Uh, stronger enforcement Uh, measures are now being implemented which includes severe penalties for non-compliant employers. Uh, Effective immediately, the government has said that they will inspect one in every four employers accessing the program each year. Now, This is a significant increase in inspections and obviously they're going to have to rely on not only um, uh, random audits but they will be utilizing the tips that come from the public and also targeting employers who have previous violations with provincial labor laws and other employment standards legislation. So they'll use these things, or these trigger points, to uh, then reach out uh, to employers to see if they are compliant. Um, By the fall of 2014, ESDC has also indicated that they will be able to force banks and payroll companies to release information such as bank records and payroll documents to help their inspectors verify employer compliance. This is the new world that we're looking at. And in addition, when an employer is faced with um, a site visit from one of these inspectors, they will not be looking at just whether the proper wages have been paid, that the person is working in the proper occupation, uh, that the working conditions, overtime, et are all being met, but all 21 program requirements will be uh, will be looked at. Uh, they'll including provincial labor and recruitment laws, um, whether the LMIA commitments with respect to job creation or retention or the hiring of Canadians, whether all of those have actually been met, or the company is at least well under the way under way in satisfying these requirements. So employers beware, um, a special tip line is being set up and was actually on April in April of 2014 and you can go to the ESDC site uh, to see this uh, specific page and it's designed to allow for easy and secure reporting of abuse by those who happen to see it. So um, no longer is it difficult for people to uh, rat out fellow employees or to... Um, if they're a disgruntled employee, a Canadian who's been fired, uh, a company better make sure that they have all of their records well, um, well at hand and, and well organized and able to be producible and that they're fully compliant. Now, the ramifications of non compliance are significant. If an employer breaks or is suspected of breaking the rules of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, ESDC, in the case of a suspected breach, can suspend the employer immediately um, from accessing the program, including any LMIAs that are being are in the process of being adjudicated or issued. Um, they can even revoke an employer's LMIA that has been issued already. and institute fines of up to $100,000, and if an LMIA is suspended or revoked, even if it's suspended um, for a suspected breach, the name of that company will be placed on the uh, public blacklist. So this is once again a situation where we can see the government is really cracking down on what they believe to be employers who are abusing the system. And uh, in essence, what they've created here is a process of guilty until proven innocent. Especially when there's just an allegation that results in in the name of an employer being placed up up on the naughty list. Now, employers suspected of criminal activity under the Act, which is different than the ESDC non-compliance with the LMIA, any employer suspected of criminal activity, which is, which is described as um, illegally employing foreign workers, uh, misrepresentation, or even counselling misrepresentation, can face fines of up to $100,000 as well as up to five years' imprisonment. And uh, the government, just to further assert their resolve, provided examples of an immigration consultant in Winnipeg who was fairly recently sentenced to four years, six months in prison and ordered to pay in restitution over $380,000. So this is the world we're in, and employers can no longer uh, carry on um, without adequate records and 100% compliance as they did in the past. Now the last um, kick in the teeth if you will is an increase in fees once again um, for each LMIA applied for. The fee is jumping from $275 to to a full $1000 per person regardless of whether they are considered to be low wage or high wage. So it is critical that employers get these applications right the first time. Otherwise, they're going to be out significant dollars as they apply for LMIAs and get them uh, them refused. Now, why are they increasing the fees? Well, if they're going to investigate one in every four employers in each year, they need to increase significantly um, the amount of enforcement officers and... Uh, the entire compliance um, regime needs significant resources. So that's, this is where the money is coming from. They believe that it should not be on the backs of the regular taxpayer and that the cost of running the temporary foreign worker program, including all of the compliance and enforcement uh, mechanisms, mechanisms associated with it, is to be borne entirely by the employers accessing the program. So, uh, they're also looking at a proposal um, to add an additional fee of $100 to offset the cost of skills and job training in Canada, which I find quite ironic given the fact that our dear government itself is very good at offshoring work uh, at our visa offices abroad. They have a whole network of visa application centres all over the world that are um, all designed to save the government money by outsourcing but yet they are uh, doing all they can to label uh, Canadian employers the bad guys and at the same time um, institute all of these uh, penalties uh, and infractions against them um, if they do not put Canadians first, when, ironically, Citizenship and Immigration Canada is actively hiring foreign service um, uh, personnel to work in the visa offices that are not, Canadian citizens but are domestic workers in those countries in which the embassies are located. So that's one conundrum that I find really interesting. Now, within the new International Mobility Program, and this is the program that oversees all LMIA-exempt work permits, we're looking at seeing additional compliance fees of $230 added to every $150 work permit fee. So it's not yet instituted, but it is coming. And also... Um, that's for all employer-based work permits, like labour market opinions and uh, also um, NAFTA-based professional work permits and and those employer-based work permits that are exempt from the LMIA, they will all see this additional compliance fee of $230 added on to the $155 for the work permit. Um, In addition to employer-based work permits, Um, foreign nationals who are coming into Canada on open permits, such as the working holiday program, are going to face an additional $100 privilege fee that will be used to increase awareness of opportunities for Canadians abroad. And so currently, many more foreign youth are utilizing the exchange programs to come to Canada versus Canadians going abroad to study. So they intend to use this $100 to increase awareness of these opportunities for our Canadian youth to go uh, study and and work abroad, I should say go and work abroad and get experience uh, with different cultures. So this is the world that we're in right now. And these are my top 10 uh, things that employers should be aware of. Obviously, we could have spent hours going through all of these various changes in detail. And there are really more questions that have come up than answers. Uh, this is the uh, initial uh, beginning of a new world of uh, of um, utilizing foreign workers in Canada. And so it's important that employers immediately take action to assess where they're at with respect to their own compliance to do immigration audits uh, of their current documentation and to make sure that they have records that are complete so that when Service Canada calls, uh, th- which is the Service Canada is the delivery arm of uh, ESDC, when those compliance officers call or they drop in for a site visit or trigger an employer compliance review, that the documentation will be readily available and that the employer will have no problems with seeking um, no problems with, with uh, demonstrating compliance. This is the conclusion of our first podcast. I hope that the information provided has been informative. Uh, any specific questions with respect to uh, the individual circumstances of employers can be directed through our office um, via traditional consultation as this uh, overview has uh, been limited specifically to uh, general uh, immigration information and is not to be uh, considered legal advice when it comes to managing the individual um, foreign worker programs within each employer's uh, businesses. This is uh, Mark Holthe, uh, the Canadian immigration lawyer working out of Alberta and we will talk to you uh, again soon uh, in approximately uh, one week's time.